0: Welcome to Jeeves in the Morning, Volume 9, Part 3, Chapter 22. Uncle Percy's study, to which this was, of course, my first visit, proved to be what they call on the stage a rich interior, liberally equipped with desks, chairs, tables, carpets, and all the usual fixings. Books covered one side of it, and on the opposite wall there hung a large picture showing nymphs or something similar, sporting with what from the look of them and the way they were behaving I took to be fawns. One also noted a terrestrial globe, some bowls of flowers, a stuffed trout, a cigar humidor, and a bust which might have been that of the late Mr Gladstone. In short, practically the only thing you could think of that could have been in the room but wasn't was Uncle Percy. He was not seated in the chair behind the desk, nor was he pacing the carpet, twiddling the globe, sniffing the flowers, reading the books, admiring the stuffed trout, or ticking a gander at the nymphs and fawns. Not a glimpse of him met the eye, and this total absence of uncles, so different from what I had been led to expect, brought me up with a bit of a turn. It's a rummy feeling when you've got yourself all braced with a fray and suddenly discover that the fray hasn't turned up. Rather like treading on the last stair when it wasn't there. I stood chewing the lip in some perplexity, wondering what to do for the best. The scent of a robust cigar still lingering in the air showed that he must have been on the spot quite recently, and the open French window suggested that he had popped out into the garden, there possibly to wrestle with the problems which were weighing on his mind, notably, no doubt, that of how the dickens life at Steeple Bumpley, being what it was. He was to obtain an uninterrupted five minutes with De Clam. And what I was debating within myself was whether to follow him or to remain in status quo till he came back. Much depended, of course, on how long he was going to be. I mean, it wasn't as if the mood of fiery resolution in which I had hurled myself across the threshold was a thing which would last indefinitely. Already the temperature of the feet had become sensibly lowered and I was conscious of an emptiness behind the diaphragm and a disposition to gulp. Postpone the fixture for even another minute or two, and the evil would spread to such an extent that the relative, when he eventually showed up, would find a Bertram out of whom all the sawdust had trickled, a Worcester capable of nothing better than a mild, Yes, Uncle Percy, and no, Uncle Percy.' Looking at it from every angle, therefore, it seemed that it would be best to go and tackle him in the great open spaces, where Boko by this time was presumably lurking, and I had reached the French windows and was about to pass through, though with little or no relish for what lay before me, when my attention was arrested by the sound of raised voices. They came from a certain distance, and the actual wording of the dialogue escaped the eardrum, "'but from the fact that they were addressing each other "'as my dear Wobleston and you blot. "'I divined that they belonged respectively to Boko "'and the Signor of Bumpley Hall. "'A moment later my conjecture was proved correct. "'A little procession came into view, "'crossing the strip of lawn outside the study. "'Heading it was Boko, "'looking less debonair than I have sometimes seen him. "'Following him came a man of gardenesque appearance.' armed with a pitchfork and accompanied by a dog of uncertain breed. The rear was brought up by Uncle Percy, waving a cigar menacingly like the angel expelling Adam from the Garden of Eden. It was he who seemed to be doing most of the talking. From time to time Boko would look around as if about to say something, but whatever eloquence he may have been intending was checked by the expression on the face of the dog, which was that of one fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils and the fact that the pitchfork to which I have alluded was almost touching the seat of his trousers. Halfway across the lawn, Uncle Percy detached himself from the convoy and came stumping rapidly toward me, puffing emotionally at his cigar. Boko and his new friends continued in the direction of the drive. After the painful shock, inevitable on seeing an old friend given the push from enclosed premises, my first thought, as you may have surmised, had been that there was nothing to keep me. The whole essence of the scheme to which I had consented to lend my services had been that Bogo should be within earshot while I was making my observations to Uncle Percy, and nothing was clearer than that by the time the latter reached his sanctum he would have drifted away like thistle-down. I shot off accordingly, not standing upon the order of my going, but going at once, as the fellow said, and was making good progress when, as I approached the door, I suddenly observed that there hung over it a striking portrait of Aunt Agatha from the waist upwards. In making my entrance, I had, of course, missed this. But there it had been all the time, and now it caught my eye and halted me in my tracks as if I had run into a lamppost. It was the work of one of those artists who reveal the soul of the sitter, and it had revealed so much of Aunt Agatha's soul that for all practical purposes it might have been that danger to traffic in person. Indeed, I came within an of saying, "'Oh, hello!' At the same time, when I could have sworn it said, "'Bertie!' in that compelling voice, which had so often rung in my ears and caused me to curl up in a ball in the hope that a meek subservience would enable me to get off lightly. The weakness was, of course, merely a temporary one. A moment later, Bertram was himself again. But the pause had been long enough to allow Uncle Percy to come clumping into the room, and escape was now impossible.' I remained, therefore, and stood shooting my cuffs, trusting that the action would induce fortitude. It does sometimes. Uncle Percy appeared to be soliloquizing.
1: I trod on him, trod on him. There he was, nestling in the grass, and I trod on him. It's not enough that the fellow comes roaming my grounds, uninvited, at all hours of the night. It comes also by day, and reclines in my personal grasses. No keeping him out. Apparently he oozes into the place like oil. Here for the first time he seemed to become aware of his nephew's presence. Bertie. Oh, hello, Uncle Percy. My dear fellow, just the chap I wanted to see. To
0: say that I was surprised at this remark would be to portray my emotions but feebly had absolutely knocked me in I mean, consider the facts. Man and boy, I had known this old buzzard a matter of fifteen years, and not once during that period had it even hinted that my society held any attraction for him. In fact, on most of the occasions when we had foregathered, gathered, he had rather gone out of his way to indicate that the reverse was the case. I have already alluded to the episode of the hunting crop, and there had been other similar passages through the course of the years. I have, I think, made it sufficiently clear that fewer harder eggs ever stepped out of the saucepan than this Percival Lord Warbleston. rocket sea captains accustomed to facing gales in the western oceans without a tremor quivered like Blamanges' when hauled up before him in his office and asked why the devil they had or had not ported the helm or spliced the main brace during their latest voyage in his service, in disposition akin to a more than ordinarily short-tempered snapping turtle, he resembled in appearance a malevolent Aubrey Smith, and usually, when one encountered him, gave the impression of being just about to foam at the mouth. Yet now he is gazing at me in a manner which, when you came to look closely and got past the bristling moustache, revealed itself as not only part human, but actually kindly. From the pain in the neck generally induced by the sight of Bertram Worcester he appeared to be absolutely free. Who oh, me, I said, weakly. My amazement such that I was compelled to support myself against the terrestrial globe. Yes, you, the very fellow.
1: Have a drink, Bertie. I said something about it being a bit early, but he pooh-poohed the suggestion. It's never too early to have a drink. If you've been wading ankle-deep in blasted fiddleworths, I was taking a stroll with my cigar. "'my mind deeply occupied with vital personal problems, "'and my foot came down on something squashy. "'And there was the frightful chap. "'He was reclining in the lush grass by the lake "'as if he had been a dashing field moss or something. "'If I had had a weak heart, it might have been the end of me.'" I couldn't help mourning for Boko. I could picture what must have occurred.
0: Making his way snaggily toward the study window, he'd heard Uncle Percy's approach, and had taken cover, little knowing that a moment later the latter's number eleven foot was about to descend upon what, from the fact that the other had described it as squashy, must have been some tender portion of his anatomy. A nasty jar for the poor chap. A nasty jar for Uncle Percy, too, of course. In fact, one of those situations where the heart bleeds for both the party of the first part and the party of the second part. Fiddleworth! he shot an accusing glance at
1: me. Friend of yours, isn't he? Oh, bosom. You would do well to choose your friends more carefully,
0: he said with the first lapse from that strange malevolence of his, which he had yet shown. I suppose this was really the moment for embarking upon an impassioned defence of Boko, stressing his admirable qualities. Not being able
1: to think of any, however, I remained silent and he carried on. But never mind him. My gardening staff is seeing him off the premises. I'm with strict orders to jab him in the seat of the pants with a pitchfork if he dares to offer the slightest resistance. I venture to think that these grounds will see less of him in the future. And by George, that is what Bumpley Hall wants. To make it an earthly paradise. Fewer and better fiddle worse. Have a cigar, Bertie. I don't think so, thanks. Nonsense. I can't understand this eating out policy of yours with regard to my cigars. When I don't want you to smoke them, you do. Remember that hunting crop, eh? Ha! And when I do want you to smoke them, you don't. Silly nonsense. Put this in your face, you young rascal. He produced from his humidor something that looked like a torpedo. And let's have no more of this, I don't think so, thanks. I want you to be all relaxed and comfortable. "'because I have something very important to consult you about. "'Ah, bring it here, Maple.' "'On the queue, it's never too
0: early to have a drink. "'I should have mentioned he had pressed the bell, "'causing the butler to appear and book instruction. "'The latter had now re-entered with a half-bottle of the oldest bin, "'and it was while genially uncorking this "'that the relative resumed his
1: remarks. "'Yes, never mind, Fiddleworth. he repeated, "'handing me a foaming goblet.' Let us dismiss him from our thoughts. I've other things to talk about. First and foremost, cheerio, Bertie. Cheerio, I said faintly. Success to crime. Skin off your
0: nose, I responded, still on the day's side. Mud in your eye, said this extraordinary changeling. First and foremost, he proceeded,
1: passing a rapid glassful down the hatch. I wish to express my appreciation. Of your spectacularly admirable conduct on the drive just now. I met Edwin up there. He told me you had kicked him. A thing I've been wanting to do for years, but never had the nerve. Here he rose from his chair with outstretched hand, and shook mine warmly, and reseated himself. Thinking over some of our recent meetings, Bertie. He said, I don't
0: say softly because he couldn't speak softly but softly as a chap who found it so difficult to speak
1: softly could speak. I fancy you may have run away with the idea that I was a bad-tempered, cross-grained old fella. I believe I spoke harshly to you last night. You must overlook it. You must make allowances. You can't judge a man with a son like Edwin by the same standards as men who haven't got a son like Edwin. Did you happen to hear he got me squarely with that infernal scout sticker his last night? Me too! Right on the. He got me on the head. Thinking I was a burglar or some such nonsense. And when I wanted to take steps, Florence wouldn't let me. You can imagine how I felt when I learned that you had kicked him. I wish I'd seen it. Still, I gathered enough from his story to tell me that you behave with notable gallantry and resource. I don't mind admitting, my boy, that the thing has completely revolutionized my opinion of you. For years, I've been looking on you as a mere lackadaisical, spiritless young man about town. I see now how wrong I was. You've shown yourself to be possessed of the highest executive qualities, and I've decided you're the chap to advise me in the crisis which has arisen in my affairs. I'm in a painful dilemma, Bertie. It's absolutely essential that... But perhaps you've heard about it from Jeeves. He did give me a sort of outline. Chichester Clam? Yes? My vital need for a meeting with him in a secret session? Yes! That clears the ground then, never mind why it is so urgent for me to meet Chichester Clam in secret session, so long as you understand that it is. That is all that matters. He was the man in the pot and shed last night. Yes! So you know that, do you? It was James's suggestion, and a good one too. In fact, if it hadn't been for that revolting ah! But don't let me get on that subject of Fiddleworth. I want to keep calm. Yes, Clam was in the potting shed. Curious fella. Oh, yes? Most curious. I wonder how I can describe him to you. You ever seen a fawn? Like the chaps in that picture? No, not that sort of a fawn. I meant the animal. The timid fawn that shivers and shakes and at the slightest suspicion of danger starts like a... like a fawn. That's Clam. Not to look at, it, I don't mean. He's stouter than your average fawn, and he wears horn limb spectacles, of course, which fawns don't. I'm referring to his character and disposition. You agree with me? I reminded him that
0: owing to the fact that I had never had the pleasure of making his acquaintance, Clam's psychology
1: was a sealed book to me. That's true, I was forgetting. Well, that's what he's like, a fawn. Nervous, quivering, gets the wind up at the slightest provocation came out of that pot and shed. I understand. Shaking like a leaf, saying, Never again. Yes, every drop of his manly courage had evaporated. And any scheme which we may devise for a future meeting will have to be a good one, a foolproof one. A scheme which even he can see involves him in no peril. Ah, oh, this neurotic tendency in the American businessman. Can you account for it? No? Well, I can. Too much coffee. Coffee? That and the New Deal. Over in America, it appears life for the businessman is one long series of large cups of coffee, punctuated with shocks from the New Deal. He drinks a quart of coffee and gets a nasty surprise from the New Deal. To pull himself together, he drinks another quart of coffee, and along comes another nasty surprise from the New Deal. He staggers off, feebly calling for more coffee and, well, you see what I mean. Vicious circle. No nervous system could stand it. Chichester Clams' nerves are in ruins. He wants to take the next boat to New York. Knows he will be wrecking the business deal of a lifetime by doing that. But he says he doesn't care, just so long as he gets God's broad, deep Atlantic between him and the English potting shed. A most extraordinary prejudice he seems to have taken against potting sheds. So keep steadily in mind that the fact that whatever you may suggest must be totally free from anything in the nature of the potting shed angle. What have you got to suggest, Bertie? To this, of course, there was but one reply. I think we'd better consult Jeeves. I have consulted Jeeves. He says he's baffled. I
0: shot out an aghastish puff of smoke. The thing seemed incredible.
1: Jeeves says he's baffled? Told me so himself. That's why I've come to you. Fresh mind, so to speak. When did he say this? Last night.
0: I saw that all was not lost. "'Well, but he's had a refreshing sleep since then. "'You know how a spot of sleep picks you up. "'And by Jove, Uncle Percy, I'll tell you something I've just remembered. Early this morning I came upon him fishing in the river.' "'What of it?' "'The fact is tremendously significant. "'I didn't actually question him on the subject, "'but a man of his calibre would be bound to have caught a few. "'No doubt he had them for breakfast, "'in which case his faculties will have been greatly stimulated.' Probably by now he's at the top of his form again, with his brain humming like a dynamo. It was plain that the relative found himself infected by my enthusiasm. In obvious excitement he put the wrong end of the cigar in his mouth, singeing his moustache at the corner. I never thought of that, he said, having cursed a bit. That often happens with Jeeves. Is that so? Most of his major triumphs have been accomplished on fish. You don't say absolutely the phosphorus you know of course even a single sardine will sometimes do the trick can you lay your hands on him i'll ring for maple oh
1: maple he said as the butler fetched up at journey's end send jeeves to me very good my lord and another half bottle i think don't you bertie just as you say uncle percy it would be rash not to have it You've no conception how it shakes a man bringing his foot down on what he thinks is solid ground and finding it's a fiddle worth another of the same maple. Very good, my lord. During the waiting stage, which was not of long duration,
0: the old relative filled in with some ad lib stuff about Boko, mostly about how much he disliked his face. Then the door opened again to admit a procession headed by the half bottle on a salver. This was followed by Maple, who in turn was followed by Jeeves. Maple withdrew and Uncle Percy got down to it.
1: Jeeves, my lord. Did you catch any fish this morning? Two, my lord. Have em for breakfast? Yes, my lord. Splendid, capital, excellent. Then come along. Hog forward, my lord. I was
0: telling his lordship how fish always gingered up your thought processes, I explained. "'He's rather expecting that you may now have something constructive to suggest "'in regarding another meeting with judges to clam. "'I am sorry, sir. "'I have used every endeavour to hit upon a solution of the problem confronting his lordship. "'But I regret to say that my efforts have not been crowned with success.' "'A washout,' he says, I construed for Uncle Percy's benefit. "'Uncle Percy said he'd hoped for better things. "'Jeeves said he had, too.'
1: Any good offering you a glass of bubbly, it might buck you up. I fear not, my lord. Alcohol has a sedative rather than a stimulating effect upon me. In that case, nothing to be done, I suppose. All right, Jeeves, thank you. A fairly sombre silence fell upon the room for some
0: moments. After the man's departure, I gave the terrestrial globe a twirl. Uncle Percy stared at his stuffed trout. Well, that's that, then i said at length what i mean if Jeeves is baffled hope would appear to be more or less dead to my surprise he did not agree with me his eyes flashed fire i had underestimated the fighting spirit of these blokes who have made large fortunes in the shipping business you may depress
1: them for a while but you can't keep them down nonsense nonsense nothing of the kind Jeeves isn't the only man in this house with a head on his shoulders Anyone who could conceive the idea of kicking Edwin and carrying it out as brilliantly as you did is not to be beaten by a simple problem like this. I'm relying on you, Bertie. Chichester Clam. How to meet him. Don't give it up. Think again. Shall I go and brood a bit on the drive? Brood wherever you like. All over the grounds, if you like. Right-ho, I said, and
0: took a meditative departure. I had scarcely closed the door and started to push along the passage, when Nobby appeared, as if out of a trap. Chapter 23 She came leaping toward me, like Lady Macbeth coming to get first-hand news from the guest-room. Well? She said, getting her hooks on my arm with girlish animation. i nearly expiring with excitement and suspense, Bertie. Did everything go off all right? I listened to the door for a bit, but it was so difficult to hear what was going on. All that came through was Uncle Percy's voice rumbling like thunder, and occasionally a bleat from you. I would have denied and with some warmth this charge that I had bleated, but you gave me no opportunity to speak. And what puzzled me was that according to the program, it should have been your voice rumbling like thunder, and an occasional bleat from Uncle Percy, and I couldn't hear Boko at all. He might just as well have not been there. I winced. It seemed to be my constant task to have to dash the cup of joy from this young geezer's lips. I didn't like it any more than I had the first time. However, I forced myself to give her the works. Booker wasn't there. Not there? No. But the whole point. I know, but he was unavoidably detained by a gardener with a pitchfork and a dog which seemed to me to have a dash of the wolfhound in him. In a few sympathetic words, I related how the light of her life had become less than the dust beneath Uncle Percy's gents, Oxfords, and had been slung off the premises with all his music still within him. A heart-set look came into her face. So, Boker was made an ass of himself again. I wouldn't call it actually making an ass of himself this time. More accurately, don't you think, to chalk him up as the helpless prey of destiny? He could have rolled out of the way... Not very easily. Uncle Percy's foot covers a wide area. She seemed to see the justice of this. Her map softened, and she asked if the poor darling had been hurt. I weighed this. His physical injuries, I imagine, were slight. He seemed to be navigating under his own steam. Spiritually, he did not appear to be doing so well, though. Poor lamb. He is so sensitive. What would you say his standing was now with Uncle Percy? Lowish. this has put the lid on things, don't you think? To some extent, yes, but, I said glad to be able to drop a word of comfort, there is just a chance that wind and weather permitting that the sun will ere long peep through the clouds. All depends on how the Worcester brain responds to the spurring it is going to get in the next half hour or so. What do you mean? Rummy things have been happening, Nobby you recall how I tried the Fiddleworth patent process for getting out of being engaged to Florence. By kicking Edwin? Yes. By, as you say, kicking Edwin. It has produced a bountiful harvest. But you told me it hadn't worked. Not in the way I anticipated, but there has been an amazing by-product. Uncle Percy, informed of my activities, is all over me. For years, apparently, he has wanted to kick the young gumboil himself. But Florence has always stayed his foot. I never knew that. No doubt he has worn the mask. But the yearning was there and it reached fever point last night when Edwin sneaked up behind him and let him have it in the pants with his scout stick. So you can understand how he felt on learning I had rushed in where he had feared to tread. It revolutionized his whole outlook. He shook my hand, gave me a cigar and pressed drink upon me. I am now his trusted friend and adviser. He thinks the world of me. Yes, but... You spoke? I was only going to say that that's splendid and wonderful and marvelous, and I hope you will be very, very happy. But what I want is for him to think the world of Boko, not you. I'm coming to that. Does the old relative ever speak to you of his affairs? Only to tell me not to come bothering him now, because he's busy. Then you wouldn't have heard of an American tycoon named J. Chichester Clam with whom he has got to have a secret meeting in order to complete an important deal mysterious commercial stuff he has asked me to think out some way of arranging this meeting. If I do, you will be on velvet. How do you make that out? Well, dash it, already, I am practically Uncle Percy's Hugh lamb that will make me even youer. He'll be able to deny me nothing. I shall be in a position to melt his heart. Oh gody, yes. I see now. And get you and Boko fixed up. Then you show Florence that letter of mine and that will get me fixed up. But Bertie, this is stupendous. Yes, the prospects are the rosiest, provided Provided what? Provided I can think of a way of arranging the secret meeting, which at the moment of going to press I'm absolutely dashed if I can. But there are a million ways. Name three. Why you could... Oh, no, I see what you mean. It is difficult. I know, ask Jeeves. We have asked Jeeves. He says he's baffled. Baffled? Jeeves? I know, it came as a great shock to me. Trap was full of fish, too. What are you going to do, Bertie? I told Uncle Percy I would brood a while. Perhaps Boko would have something to suggest. Here I was obliged to be firm. Yes, I bet he would. And I bet it would be something which would land us so deeply in the soup that it would require a dredging outfit to get us out again. I love Boko like a brother, but what I always feel about the dear old bird is that it's the wisest not to stir him. She agreed with this, admitting that if there was a way of making things worse, then Boko would unquestionably find it. I'm going to see him, she said suddenly after taking time out for a few moments in order to knit the brow. Bogo? Jeeves, I just don't believe all this stuff about him being baffled. He said he was. I don't care, I don't believe it. Have you ever known Jeeves to be baffled? Very seldom. Well then, she said, and legged it for the staff quarters, leaving me to pass from the hall. I rather think with bowed head, and moved out into the open. Here for a space I pondered. How long I pondered I cannot say. When the bean is tensely occupied, it is difficult to keep tab on the passage of time. I am unable to state, therefore, whether it was ten minutes later, or more like twenty, when I emerged from a profound reverie to discover that Jeeves was in my midst. I had had no inkling of his approach, but then one very often doesn't. He has a way of suddenly materializing at one side like one of those Indian blokes who shoot their astral bodies to and fro, going up into thin air at Rangoon and reassembling the parts in Calcutta. I think it's done with Mears. Nobby was also there, looking pretty dashed pleased with herself. I told you so, she said. About what? About Cheese being baffled. I knew there must be some mistake. He's not baffled at all. I stared at the man astonished. True, he was looking in rare intellectual form, what with his head sticking out at the back and all the acumen gleaming from his eyes. But he had stated so definitely to Uncle Percy and himself that he had been laid astymy, Not baffled? No, he was only fooling. He's got a terrific idea. How much does he know of recent developments? I've just been bringing him up to date. You've been apprised of the failure of the Fiddleworth system, Jeeves. Yes, sir, and also of your rapprochement with his lordship. My what with his lordship? sir, a French expression. I confess that I experienced no little surprise on finding you on such excellent terms, but Miss Hopwood's explanation has rendered everything perfectly clear. And you really have a scheme for bringing Uncle Percy and Clam together? Yes, sir. I must confess, in our recent interview, I intentionally misled his lordship, realizing how vital it was to the interests of Mr. Fittleworth and Miss Hopwood that you should be in a position to use your influence on their behalf. I thought it better that the suggestion should appear to emanate from you, sir. So that you can become more than ever the ewe lamb, Bertie. Explain Nobby. I nodded. His meaning had not escaped me. If you analysed it, it was the old Bacon and Shakespeare gag. Bacon, as you no doubt remember, wrote Shakespeare's stuff for him, and then, possibly because he owed the latter money, or it may have been from sheer good fortune, allowed him to take all the credit. I mentioned this to Jeeves, and he said that perhaps an even closer parallel was that of Cyrano de Bergerac. The nature of the scheme which I have evolved, sir, I should begin by saying, renders the laying of it before his lordship, A matter of some little delicacy, and it may be that a certain finesse will be required to induce him to fall in with it. One of their schemes, is it? Yes, sir. So if I might make the suggestion, I think it would be best if you were to leave the matter in my hands. You mean let you sell it to him? Precisely, sir. I would, of course, stress the fact that you were its originator, and myself merely the go-between or emissary. Just as you feel, Jeeves, you know best. And what is this scheme? Briefly, sir, I see no reason why his lordship and Mr. Clam should not meet in perfect secrecy and safety at the fancy dress ball which is to take place tonight at the East Wibbly Town Hall. I was absolutely staggered. I had clean forgotten that those East Wibley doings were scheduled for tonight. "'which, when you reflect how keenly I had been looking forward to them, "'will give you some idea of the extent to which the fierce rush of life "'at steeple Bumpley had disorganized my faculties.' "'Isn't that a ball of fire?' said Nobby enthusiastically. "'I could not wholly subscribe to this, though. I spot a fatal flaw.' "'What do you mean, a flaw?' "'Well, try this on your pianola. "'Where on such short notice can Uncle Percy procure a costume?' He can't go without one. Fancy dress, I take it, is obligatory. In other words, we come up against the snag the wedding guest ran into. Which wedding guest? The one who beat his breast? No, the chap in the parable who was invited to a wedding, but having omitted to dress the part got slung out on his ear like bo Oh. I was about to say like Burgo from the precincts of Bumpley Hall, but refrained, fearing lest it might wound. But even without the addition, my remorselessly logical words struck home. Oh, golly, I'd forgotten about the upholstery. How do you get around that, Jeeves? Quite simply, miss. I fear it will be necessary for you to lend his lordship your Sinbad the Sailor costume, sir. I uttered a stricken cry like a cat to whom the suggestion had been made that she part with a newborn kitten. My god, Jeeves! I fear so, sir. Dash it! That means I will be able to attend the function! I feel not, sir. But, but why do you want to attend the rotten function? Demanded Nobby. I gnawed the lower lip. You feel that this is absolutely essential, Jeeves. Now think well! Quite essential, sir. It may be a little difficult to persuade his lordship to take part in a frivolous affair of this nature, owing to his fear of what her ladyship would say, should she learn of it and I am relying on the ginger whiskers which go with the costume to turn the scale. In placing the proposition before his lordship, I shall lay great stress on the completeness of the disguise, which these will afford, preventing recognition by any acquaintance whom he may have a chance encounter with in the course of the festivities. I nodded. He was right. I decided to make the great sacrifice. The Worcesters are seldom deaf to the voice of reason, even if it involves draining the bitter cup. True, Jeeves, the keenest eye could not pierce those whiskers. No, sir. So be it, then. I'll donate the costume. Thank you, sir. Then I will be seeing his lordship immediately. Heaven speed your efforts, Jeeves. Thank you, sir. Same here, Jeeves. Thank you, miss. He shimmered off, and I turned to Nobby with a sigh saying that this was a blow and I would not attempt to conceal it. And once more she asked why I was so keen on attending what she described as a footling country dance. Well, for one thing, I had set my heart on knocking East Wibbly's eye out with that sailor costume. You've never seen me as Sinbad the Sailor, have you, Nobby? No. You haven't lived. But, I proceeded, there's another angle, and I wish it had floated into my mind before Jeeves bopped off because I should like his views on it. If Uncle Percy meets Chichester Clam at this orgy and all goes well, he will, of course, be in a malleable mood. But the point is, do these malleable moods last? By the following morning, may he not have simmered down. In order to strike while the iron is hot, both I and Boko ought to be there. I to seize the psychological moment for approaching Uncle Percy on your behalf, and Boko to carry on from where I leave off. She saw what I meant. Yes, that wants thinking out. If you don't mind, I'll pace up and down a bit. I did so and was still hard at it when Nobby's voice halted me, and I saw that Jeeves had returned from his mission. Joining them at my best speed, I found him looking modestly triumphant. His lordship has consented, sir. Good, but— I am to proceed to London without delay, in order to see Mr. Clam— and secure his cooperation. Quite, but meanwhile, Miss Hopwood has drawn my attention to the point which you have raised, sir, and I am in cordial agreement with your view that both yourself and Mr. Fiddleworth should be present at the dance. What I suggest, sir, is that Mr. Fiddleworth drives me through the metropolis in his car, starting as soon as possible in order that we may return in good time, while I am interviewing Mr. Clam. Mr. Fiddleworth can be purchasing the necessary costumes. I think this meets your difficulty, sir. I brooded for a moment. The scheme, as he had said, met my difficulty. The only thing that bothered me was whether an essentially delicate matter like the selection of fancy dress costumes could be left safely in the hands of a bird like Boko. He was the sort of chap who could quite easily come back with a couple of Pierrots. "'Wouldn't it be better if I drove you to London?' "'No, sir. "'I think that you should remain in order to keep his lordship's courage screwed to the sticking place. "'His acceptance of the scheme was not obtained without considerable trouble. "'He would agree, and then he would glance at the portrait of her ladyship, "'which hangs above the study door, and demur once more. "'Left to himself, without constant exhortation and encouragement, "'I fear he might yet change his mind.' I saw what he meant. Something in that, Jeeves. A bit jumpy, is he? Extremely so, sir. I could not blame the old bird. I have already described my own emotions on catching the eye of that portrait of Aunt Agatha. Right-ho, Jeeves. Very good, sir. I would recommend constant allusions to the efficacy of the whiskers. As I have anticipated, it is they that will turn the scale. Would Mr. Fiddleworth be at his residence now, miss? Yes, that I will proceed thither at once.